Hello and welcome to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I'm your host, Pam Durant. Hello and welcome back to Dialogue, the Diapoint podcast. I am so excited to be here and I'm so glad that you are here, that you're listening. I'm happy to be back as well. I'm back in Dubai. I was traveling for the summer or working remotely remotely working remote remotely for the summer. Um, I hope you had a great summer. If you have kids, I hope the back to school planning has been kind to you. Mine's starting next week. So we're all a little excited about that in many different ways. As I mentioned, I was working remote remotely. I worked from Turkey, which is like my second home or sometimes my first home. Well, I worked almost every day, never felt like work because I love what I do. And I was looking at the colors of the Aegean Sea a lot. So sitting in some beautiful places, eating the most amazing fresh fruits and vegetables. When I go back to Turkey, I eat a lot. Like, I mean, a lot. I don't hold back. I love all the mezes, all what they call the zeytinyağlı, everything that they make with uh, fresh vegetables, with olive oil. The food is just so beautiful. And I shared a little bit of my summer on my personal, my coaching Instagram account If you saw that, and we shared some of that in the Diapoint account as well. But as you probably might know, it was largely about food. So no surprises there whatsoever. When I returned, I made a post about my post-summer weight gain. It was a little provocative, but I thought it was important to do that. And I never said how much I gained. But why did I do that? Because it really shouldn't matter. But so many people were curious about it. Every single woman that I speak to, or at least maybe 90% of the women that I talk to about what they did over the summer, they always mention the weight gain. Oh, I had such a great time. We saw so many beautiful places. I did so many wonderful things. Oh my gosh, but I gained so much weight. I never hear men say this. They don't talk about that so much. They may have missed their regular exercise, or you know, maybe they were aware that they were eating too much or a little indulgent. But no one can punish themselves for having a good time and enjoying the beautiful food of another country as much as a woman can. We are so hard on ourselves. So man or woman, no matter who you are, can I please ask, starting today, you stop doing that. When someone asks you about your summer holiday, I want you to say, I had a wonderful time. It was great. And we saw this and we saw that. And I ate so much wonderful food. You gained weight, but now you're back you're going to get on your routine again. Did I gain weight? Yes, I did. But it was very little. It was mostly water weight. And why was that? Because after a few days, when I got back home, I was pretty much back to my normal weight. Yes, my body fat composition may have shifted a bit if if somebody checked it, but I don't really care. I don't care because I was active. I walked a lot. There are a lot of hills just to get to the market where I stay. Like It was uphill both ways. Sometimes it felt that way. And there were a lot less elevators and I could also swim often too. So this is the, you know, the beauty of being able to go somewhere where the weather's beautiful and you can work from there. It was never perfect and I wasn't training for anything, but making those lifestyle choices that I always talk about really made a difference in how I felt about my body and my health when I came home. Was I tired? Yes. Despite a one hour time difference, you know, still flying always makes you feel a bit groggy and out of it and getting back into the swing of things, but it wasn't all terrible. So I hope that if you adopt a similar approach that when you decide to have a healthy lifestyle, most of the time, 
you're going to feel happier, healthier, and more energetic all the time. And if you feel like maybe you gained more weight than you wanted to, or your clothes are fitting a little differently when you came back, or you didn't manage your diabetes like you wanted to, please stop beating yourself up about it. It's a whole new chapter. It's a new month. Let's look ahead to the future. You have a blank page. You can start writing your new chapter today. And on the topic of dieting, um, I was reminded of this again today in a blog I saw in Healthline. Dieting is not going to cure anything. It is a temporary solution. We'll come back from our holiday and then we'll say, I need to diet. I need to get on a diet. Diet means, it shouldn't mean, diet should mean our overall nutrition, but diet means restriction. Yes, you might lose some weight, but you lose a lot of other things too. You lose self-esteem, you lose self-worth. It's shaming, you feel horrible. You lose joy sometimes because you're so stressed about your food choices and what are you going to eat and someone's invited you to a dinner and how do I navigate that and what do I do? But once you make the conscious decision to not diet again and live a healthy lifestyle for the rest of your life, then you won't have to diet again. You'll be mindful of what you're eating and you'll make healthy choices. And sometimes maybe you won't make such a healthy choice, but you'll know how to recover from that. And you know that that's not going to be your everyday, everyday choices. So what does that exactly look like? Well, it means eating well most of the time, mostly whole base plants, fruits and vegetables. There's some research now, it's still just coming out, but people are even looking into more of the the vegan meat options and it's still processed. And while that can be good sometimes, but it's not a solution all the time. You want mostly whole fresh foods. And I'm not telling everyone to become vegan. I know that's that's not what we're asking. I personally don't like red meat, but that's my personal choice. I hate it. Um, But if you like red meat and you choose to keep that in your diet, then just please add more plants maybe a little less processed food, cut out a portion of some of the bad stuff, the processed foods or the junk food, and fill that with healthy whole foods. Exercising regularly, we all know that, that's so important. Staying active, sleeping well, focusing on positive relationships. If you have some challenges in relationships, or if you have some negative relationships in your life, then maybe you need to get rid of those negative ones, work on making the challenging ones better and do what you need to do because that really does affect our overall health. Also, understanding things that trigger your stress is so critical. We need to, we we can't eliminate stress. There's positive stress, there's negative stress, but we need to know how to deal with it. We need to know how to live with it in the moment when it's happening. We need to know how to unpack it and we need to know how to offload it. And we know all of these things, but yet a lot of us, we're still not doing it. Sometimes myself included, since I've come back, I'm not sleeping as well as I could be. I don't have good sleep hygiene. I'm not going to bed early. So something to work on. In addition to looking after our lifestyle, then we can start looking ahead through, we have September, October, November. There is also December. The year is almost finished. I can't believe it. And I don't talk about what we're going to do in December too much because by then, There's so much happening. Sometimes I think for a lot of people, December can feel out of control, which makes setting new goals in January really difficult. We, If you have kids, there's the end of school stuff. There's the holidays. There's the new year. If you're traveling, visiting family, all the things, it it builds up and adds so much stress that by the time January rolls around, you don't really feel like setting New Year's resolutions and new, new goals. And that's why I always say, 
don't reset in January, reset now. Now is a good time. September is kind of like the new January. And at diet point, we're not really resetting, but we're focusing on a lot of exciting things for the next three months that will include a lot of really new cool products. We have some very exciting events and initiatives planned for people with diabetes. And we'll also be launching our online shop in Arabic soon, among many other things. In October, I'm going to be participating in the ISPAD, that's the International Society of Pediatric and Adolescent Diabetes Meeting in Abu Dhabi. I was honored to be invited to be the patient advocate on the scientific committee this year, and that is such an honor. Um, That was so unexpected. It's just, it it still leaves me speechless. Before I ever created Diapoint, I was a patient advocate, first and foremost. I still am. And everything we do at Diapoint is focused on people with diabetes and the health and wellness of others. Even if you don't have diabetes, we will still advocate for you because you are our most important person, collectively and individually. If there is a business opportunity that is not in the best interest of the people that we serve, or it's not in the best interest of the health of the people that we serve, or if something is going to be more costly or whatever it is, then we we won't do it. We've had to make some hard business decisions that we really tried to make things work. But at the end of the day, if it wasn't supportive of the people we serve, we won't do it. And that's where the advocacy meets our, our business philosophy. So at this ISPAD meeting, I'm going to be facilitating a panel of advocates from our region, from the MIA region from the Middle East and Africa. I can't tell you how important this is to me. There's so many people in this region who are not able to access diabetes supplies and information. And I'm talking about the basics that we, myself included, who are privileged, we often take for granted. So many people are horribly underserved in the world. um, And we're aware of that. And we do what we can to help those in need Um, We offer a lot of things for free that we can advice, information, support whenever possible. But changing these disparities takes more than one person and more than one small company. It really does take a village. We have some new initiatives that we're going to launch later this year as we continue to support those who who are underserved. But in the meantime, I cannot wait for everyone to hear the stories of the other advocates who are going to join me for this panel. The challenges that they face are big. And the sometimes, dare I say, creativity and the extents to which they have gone to overcome those challenges are even bigger. And they're courageous and they're inspiring. There's still a lot of work to be done. So I hope that this panel draws more attention to their issues and that it encourages other individuals and organizations to get involved and to help make a difference, either in the countries of those on my panel or other countries who are facing similar challenges. I'm also going to have another mindful eating program in case you missed the last one and you want to join. It's about eight weeks and I'll be sharing that information with you soon. I'll also have some other coaching um, support and opportunities coming up if you're looking for a reset after your summer holidays. I want to shift now and talk about a couple things that were in the news today. I knew I would be recording this episode and I didn't really plan to talk about these, but When I had a glance at my inbox this morning and these came to me, I thought they were worth mentioning. So there's a new study about type 2 diabetes cases in children in the United States. Um, This was research that was done at Johns Hopkins. 
which is a very um, one of the top maybe five or so uh, medical centers in the world. Um, they have a long history of high quality healthcare and research. And they published this article in the Journal of Pediatrics on August 17th, which is just about a week ago from the time I'm recording this episode. What they found that reduced physical activity and weight gain, which we know are factors for type 2 diabetes, are things that they saw in the, they examined some medical records of children during the COVID lockdown or after COVID lockdown. And they found that there were more incidents of type 2 diabetes in children since COVID. And I quote from one of the leading researchers there. I don't know if she pronounced her, I apologize, her last name, Megge or Maj, it's M-A-G-G-E, maybe Megge. She says during the COVID, or he says during the COVID-19 lockdown, children were removed from normal day-to-day routines like going to school, playing sports, and other hobbies. True. Not only were they less physically active, they were confined to their homes and spent a lot of time watching TV, playing video games, or with other electronic devices. And dare I say, because we know as adults, if we are home and if there's like snacks and food, and even if not, if we're consuming a lot of calories of something semi-healthy and we can't burn that off, we're going to gain weight. We have to expend those calories. So the data that they looked at was in children they, they said children, but I'm going to say children and young adults from the age of 8 to 21. And what they found in this research that the average number, average number of new diagnosis of type 2 diabetes per year in the two years, the last two years has increased. Sorry, let me rephrase that. The average number of new diagnosis per year in the two pre-pandemic years compared to the first year of the pandemic, increased by 77%. Seven, seven, 77. That is huge. And this is just a small population sample size. If they start, I don't know what the uh, socioeconomic background of the populations were that they looked at. It didn't go into that level of detail in the article I read about it, but this is alarming. And this was just in America. And it's not just American kids that were on lockdown and not just those, you know, children suffered mentally as well. We always talk about that, but there's not been a lot of discussion outside of the endocrinology and diabetes world about how this might affect their long-term health, not if they had COVID, just by being in lockdown. And also having been in lockdown now, the way that children socialize is often different. Like my son and his friends, they, they still get together and they'll go to the cinema and see a movie and things like that. Um, And, you know, they met up in a park once last year when things started opening up and that, and that was amazing, but they still socialize a lot online. They game together and they're all sitting at home. So these habits are continuing. Um, It's, it's really interesting. And, and, Estimated one-third of American youth are considered at risk of being overweight and obese, is what they said um, in the article about the study. And the researcher added that previous research from other institutions has shown children who are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes appear to get complications faster than adults. 
So complications like heart disease, cardiovascular disease, um, neuropathy, and other issues that people with diabetes might see later in life in their 60s or something that you might, if you're a child diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you might see that earlier. And I promise that you don't want any of those complications. You don't even want to deal with type 2 diabetes if you can avoid it. 20%, yes, there is a genetic component to things, but that, according to a lot of research and a lot of doctors and thought leaders that I listen to, they say that is only 20% of the pie. The other, no pun intended, but the other 80% is possibly something that we can control with what we eat and our lifestyle, our exercise and our environment and how we choose to live. So that's super interesting. Um, in the UAE, I, I went because we're living in Dubai and in the UAE. So I did some research about similar statistics here because in the UAE, we know that there is a lot of influence of the standard American diet which we know is also not really helping anyone. All the fast food and processed food is not healthy for anyone anywhere in the world. It's one of the worst exports um, that to come from the United States. And I'm sorry to say that there's a lot of people's businesses and livelihood that depend on it. But what we're seeing over time is these ultra processed and fast foods are not, not helping and not supporting anyone in their health and wellness. So, in the UAE, the prevalence of obesity and overweight in children was the highest at around age 11, and that's about 14.2% of children. It was lower at the age of seven, but the fact that we're even talking about obesity in children at the age of seven is mind-blowing to me. Yes, there still may be a few outliers, but 3%, that could be a lot. Um, I found a, another article that talked about it more from a site called edarabia.com, which is a educational website. And they highlighted a study that was done a few years ago by the Ministry of Health here. And it showed that 4.4% of children in Dubai and the Northern Emirates were found to be morbidly obese, 16.1% were obese, and 32.3% were overweight. So if you add all of that up, that is just over 50%, like 52% of all children are struggling with so overweight and more, you know, any anything on the scale from being overweight to morbidly obese. So if you have a child that is overweight or obese, and you're not sure what to do or where to begin, I would encourage you to please go visit your doctor. And also encourage your child to just be active as active as they can. If they're really overweight, it may be hard for them it's probably already challenging for them socially. They may feel a lot of shame around it. So you want to really talk with your doctor or possibly a psychologist how to even, you know, how to discuss it and what to do, how to best support your child in teaching them how to start living a more healthy lifestyle if you haven't done that already. And two of the biggest things you can do is just encourage them to be active we know it's hot outside, but there are a lot of large indoor places where they can go, they can walk around and also encourage them to eat healthy. The challenge was sometimes going to the indoor places like a mall, then you're tempted by all the fast food that's there. So you want to 
maybe eat a healthy meal before you go to the mall and then go walk around the mall and, you know, hang out with friends. And, um, you know, there's, there's some indoor sports and other things that you can do, but get more plants, whole base plants, more fruits, more vegetables on your plate, um, less processed food. You can't just usually cut it like and throw it all away and say that's it because that's going to create a lot of resistance and possibly a lot of other challenges. But you want to start trying to find the balance. So please ask your doctors if you're not sure where to begin. Meanwhile, it's very interesting and somewhat related. In England, um, general practitioners, GPs, are going to start prescribing patients activities such as walking or cycling in order to ease the burden on the NHS, the national health system, and to help improve mental and physical health. And the article said that this was in The Guardian. A 12.7 million pound trial was announced by the Department of Transport and will begin this year. Is a wider part, a wider movement of what they call social social prescribing, quote unquote. And this is an approach already used in the NHS, apparently, in which patients are referred for non-medical activities. So I'm not exactly sure how the program works. Is it that they needed that investment to get more bike paths or something like this, depending on on where you live, maybe? I'm not sure what they're they're doing, but I find it so interesting that doctors are now encouraged to prescribe daily activity and movement that we know is good for us. We know if we go take a walk, it's good for our health. We're going to feel better. It's one of the easiest forms of exercise and movement that we can do. Riding a bike, if you have access to one and you know how to ride a bike, that's great. But this, I thought, was really forward thinking, but yet not at the same time, because there are activities that should become natural to us. And if we know that, then I would say, let's not wait for the doctor to prescribe it to us. Let's just get out and be active and move. So no matter if you have diabetes or not, or type one or type two, or you just want to get healthier, walking or riding a bicycle or doing those simple daily kind of activities um, that we're taking for granted will not harm any of us. We'll get better blood sugars if you have type one, type two, or gestational or any other kind of diabetes. I think we all know that and we all see it. I know I see it in my son. Um, but even if we don't have diabetes, we we need to be doing this. Um, some people in the article even went as far to say this is kind of controversial and they say it's a great start, but we need to do more. And of course we need to be doing more. But if you're not doing at least this much, then please start. And after this episode, for example, I'm going to take uh, Fudge, our dog, our little rescue dog. Um, we're going to go for a walk. It's hot outside, but now that it's later in the day, the sun is setting. It's okay. We can still walk. A little sweat is going to do us do me good. Dogs don't really sweat that much. Um, we'll carry some water with him if it's a long walk, but also for yourself, stay hydrated and make sure you're drinking enough water. Before I go, I want to tell you what's coming up this season on the podcast. It's so exciting. We have a lot in store for you. Um, some of our previous guests will visit, come back. We'll talk about a few things. We have some new guests who are experts in their fields. We'll have some inspirational guests and we'll continue to highlight things that you can do to improve your health and wellness. Um, we'll also talk to a lot of experts um, in the field of diabetes, of course, and we'll have a few surprises on the way as well. 
To kick things off, I'm going to start with a few episodes where I discuss the new trends of CGMs, um, continuous glucose monitors, in people who do not have diabetes. It's become quite the fashion statement. And in at the end of season two, there was a popular Dubai personality um, who on his Instagram was showing off his CGM on his arm. He doesn't have diabetes. Um, and he's like, let me scan and see if I'm eating well. And and that struck me as, I don't want to say odd. And may, maybe it did seem odd because uh, CGMs are life-saving devices that people with diabetes use. And really on more than one occasion, the CGM has saved my son's life. I do believe that. And I, I've seen it. It saved him from having a severe low. It alarmed me. It suspended his pump. So it didn't further inject insulin to him, into him and make him go lower. They are truly life-saving. So I'm going to invite some experts, some personal trainers, some people living with type one, some doctors, and we're all going to sit down and we're going to discuss this topic at length to better understand what's really happening. I'm not saying if you don't have diabetes, don't use one, but I'm not even sure that if it's useful or for those of us that don't have diabetes, if we used one or not, because our blood sugars do fluctuate. I do think that you need to understand how to read the data and, and what it means so that it's meaningful for you. Otherwise, you're just wearing a very expensive device. And while it's expensive and maybe fun to get more data, it also takes me back to think of those with accessibility issues who aren't able to access these. And I can't help but wonder the frustration of somebody that doesn't have access to this device and then they see people getting it so easily just to use it, you know, every day when they're struggling just to get the basics. So, so there's a lot on that topic that we're going to discuss and talk about. Um, we might dedicate a couple of episodes to that because it is such a very interesting topic with a lot to discuss. So stay tuned. We're going to get to the bottom of that topic very soon. And we're going to talk about a lot of other things. Um, thank you so much for joining uh, season three of Dialogue the Diapoint podcast. And thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to see you at the next episode. Thank you. Thank you.